All right. Here we go. Quiet. Quiet. Hello and welcome to the Big Picture Podcast, where we take a look at the latest movie news, the films of today and yesterday, and put them all into some sort of context. Seated across the microphone from me after a long hiatus <laughs> is Editor-in-Chief of Film Buff Online, Rich Drees. And seated across the microphone from me is Film Buff Online Contributing Editor, Natasha Bogutsky. How's it going, Natasha? Dum, dum, dum. <laughs> dum, dum, dum. Dum, dum, dum. I know. I'm we, so in Christmas mood. Yes, you are. Um, I don't think it was that long a break. It was just a couple of weeks, but we moved you and your husband over to this new lovely condo. Thank you. Oh, uh, this is great. Um, we're a little close to the street, so we, I don't know if it's going to be picked up, but um, we are in our some... local big city. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so we might get a little bit of traffic. Um, and I forgot to turn my phone to <laughs> silence. You should know better I, I, as editor-in-chief. It's, it's been a while, I guess. <laughs> um, I double-checked mine. Oh, wait. It's and, always on silent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we are in your... I think one of the last episodes we did was in your old house in the dining room. And now we're in a new, bigger dining room. A lot bigger. <laughs> yes. Uh, so there might be a little bit of echo in here. We're not sure. Sorry, we'll, guys. We'll find out We're how testing. This one sounds over the next, actually, two episodes. Uh, peek behind the curtain. Uh, next week's episode, we're going to record right after this. But we'll tell you, Woo. maybe we'll give you a little clue at the end of this episode what the next one's going to be about. <gasps> oh, Ooh, I'm so excited. <laughs> I know, I know. So we're recording on December 6th, mm-hmm. and we had a lot of uh, information hit the airwaves today oh my in terms of movie news. Yes, there was a lot. And Crap. I mean, we have we have three movies we want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's kind of run through this really quick, some of this news yes. that hit. Um, let's see. First off, um, there was actually, this one kind of broke last night because you sent this to me. So mm-hmm. why don't you just throw it out real quick? Uh, Tom Holland has been cast to play the great, Dancer Fred Astaire mm. in a biopic about his life, which I know you're not happy about. I'm, I'm not happy that they're doing a biopic on Fred Astaire. Not that I don't like Fred Astaire. I just don't Love think he's right for it. Um, you and Holland? I had a yeah, yeah. we had a talk well, about yeah. this this morning. Um, well, first of all, let's you know, Fred Astaire always resisted attempts to do a biopic of his life while he was alive. He just thought, nah, you're going to screw it up. I don't want you to do that. He just w- didn't want his life to be turned into a movie, which, you know, is weird because, you know, he his life was movies. Well, most of it that we know, at least. And um, he even put into his will, I'd prefer you not do that. And, you know, I didn't have a chance today to kind of dig into this story a little bit more to find out who's doing it or whatever. But, you know, if if he kind of feels like he didn't want that, and that was technically his last wish, if it's in his will, I, I would say maybe forego doing it now will i not see it no i'll go see it (laughs) (laughs) i think it's i think it comes down to um members of the astaire estate yeah to to make that decision if his daughter decided uh she thought it would better serve his memory in a time now where biopics are more well done than they were 40 (laughs) 50 years ago true because Uh, (laughs) i love glenn miller but i hate I really don't like the Glenn, Glenn Miller, Miller story. story. With, I mean, it's Jimmy Stewart, but basically the Glenn Miller story is just Glenn Miller names his songs. Can we talk about it's, the Shirley Temple movie or the Audrey Hepburn story? What was that? Jennifer Love Hewitt? Oof. Yeah. yeah. It, again, there's it, some stuff that's not. And it's become a lot better recently. True. And since this will be released, I'll be releasing this after noon tomorrow i can say (laughs) that another biopic coming up uh this friday is um being the ricardos and i got to see it uh saw it this past weekend my review if i finish writing it tonight after we do this should be on the line as you are hearing this Mm. at film buff online and 
I really enjoyed it, but it's very compact. It takes place across one week as they're getting ready for an episode of I Love Lucy. I really liked it. I know they've taken massive um, liberties with some of the events and kind of folding a few key things from Desi and Lucy's time doing the show into like one one week. But I don't mind that because it's doing something else. And I'll talk about that in my review. We are seeing a lot of biopics in the past few years. I would say going back as far as 10 years ago, um, particularly with Hollywood stories. Uh, My Week with Marilyn, I think, is the one that kind of kicked it all off, uh, which a lot of people overlooked. If you haven't seen it, go and see it. Michelle Williams is phenomenal as Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. And... Well, Michelle Williams is phenomenal in anything. Yeah. But then you'll also have her paired up with Kenneth Branagh as Laurence Olivier. True. So, mwah. And yeah. And I like that style of biopic where they don't try to give you 20, 30, 40 years of somebody's life compacted into two hours. Let's take a smaller bit of time and just examine that crucible, that moment in their life. And that's what we've been seeing outside of Bohemian Rhapsody and, and Rocket Man, where they're really trying to tell a story of a, of a career. We're, we're seeing more outside of the music realm and more into the movie realm with Judy, even mm-hmm. political side. Um, recently, Jackie and Spencer yes. have really hit the nail, uh, hit the... The, the nail on the head, head of the, the nail. nail. Yeah. 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 Head the, yeah. <laughs> We're both not very handy with tools, so that extends yeah, you, to metaphors you about You only them. did hit your finger, I believe, <laughs> last weekend trying to put up a picture frame in my house. Um, <laughs> True. But uh, we're starting to see a lot more of that style. And if they, they touch upon Fred Astaire at a specific time in his life where he doesn't think maybe he can make it in Hollywood, because I remember hearing a story once, I don't know if it's true or not, where they said, uh, Fred Astaire, a little old, can't, uh, balding can sort of dance. (laughs) I think that was, I think that was said by, um, a, a studio executive somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I would love to see just that stretch of time where he is doubting himself. Okay, that would be interesting. Um, I'm not, well, if it's, he's older, I'm not sure that then Tom Holland is the uh, best choice here for mm. this. Um, and I don't think Tom Holland is thin enough to be Fred Astaire. He's and you said this to me this morning when we were chatting. Yes, um, that Tom Holland is more physical and more more of a gymnast than he is a dancer. When he he fell into um, his first role that I am aware of, his first major role was Billy Elliot on in the West End Love, uh, London stage when he was ten or eleven, and he fell into it because he was doing gymnastics at the time, and they needed kids who were not only good with dancing but good with gymnastics they're like oh he has the gymnastics side let's teach him the dance Mm -hmm. which obviously he's mastered wonderfully (laughs) just look at lip sync battle yes because you which you do constantly (laughs) but Um, i you and i talked about this i think i think he would be better as gene kelly yes he he, i I think you we we came we hit upon that Mm -hmm. that he'd probably be better as gene kelly than as fred astaire but in terms of technical ability. Yeah. In terms of looks, though, I think he's too thin to be Fred Astaire and not bulky enough to be Gene Kelly. At which, That's the problem. He's like somewhere in between yeah. those two. At which point I said, well, is he going to Christian Bale this shit? <laughs> <laughs> One way or another, he could. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but moving on, we also found out that Patty Jenkins is not going to be directing the Cleopatra movie uh, that she was lined up to do with Gail Gadot. She is going to still be on the project as a producer, uh, but she's taking a time, uh, taking a step back in order to um, concentrate on Wonder Woman three and Star Wars Rogue Squadron. So that's that's interesting. Um, they're still getting um, a different director in there, and her name is escaping me, but she was uh, the director that worked on uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier for Disney+. Plus. Oh. So that kind of tells me I think this is going to be more of an action-y movie. 
Uh, if you know, th- then that then we a expect, historical. Then piece. we expect from a Cleopatra movie, maybe. Now this is me just guessing because you know both Patty Jenkins and this other director, you know, have worked in the action field. That's that's strictly what I'm basing this from on. From a colorful perspective, I would love to see, and I know you're not a fan of this director. Imagine Cleopatra done. Baz Luhrmann style. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Did you see my, my yeah. face? Like, there you go. Just for the color. <laughs> he he knows style. Yeah. He would be great for that kind of pageantry. Yeah. On a certain level. But would it also be very um, anachronistic pageantry? Like, she's coming into Rome and, you know, a Jay-Z song is playing or something I'm like that. I'm fine with that. <laughs> I, I like the anachronistic. You know, I like she shows up and is talking to Caesar, and you know, uh, if you want to put a ring on it, is playing in the background or something. Which would that uh, be a little too on the nose? Uh, yeah, too but, on the nose, and that's the thing. He's never too on the nose. Mm-hmm. He's always more in broader strokes. Yeah, but I love the anachronism of that because it's a fresh way of storytelling, mm-hmm. which. If we're starting to get more into action, you're going to lose a lot of what you could actually do with that. He's very, he's great with emotion. He knows how to tap in and really bring out. And this is a story about romance and jealousy and politics and class, mm-hmm. a class system. Yeah. And that, that seems to speak to themes he's done before in. Exactly. You know, Strictly Ballroom, through Romeo and Juliet, Great Gatsby, Moulin Rouge, um, and even when he, you know, on a... Australia, just Australia. Australia. I was going to say, even on the scale where most people... Because I know I'm an outsider on my views of Baz Luhrmann as a director. Uh, You know, most people like most of his work, but everybody agrees Australia was a huge fumble for him. Agreed. So... Um, also, um, anything else you wanted to hit on real quick? Um, yeah, MCU. Since we're talking oh, about, yes. you know, superheroes, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Kevin Feige announced today that should they ever decide to bring Daredevil in, they're keeping Charlie Cox from the I Netflix know. Daredevil TV show. That's interesting. Now, that raises a couple of questions. And the first, I think, <clears throat> my cynical side is saying... Does that, but Kevin Feige is saying, yeah, sure, we're going to keep uh, Charlie Cox as the um, as Daredevil. But then he never shows up. But then <laughs> Kevin Feige has no intention whatsoever of ever putting Daredevil into a story. You know, that's one thing. I mean, you know, and Kevin Feige's been known for screwing around with people. Um, he has, but that is, that's, that's, that's a big story. That's a big troll. That, that would be a big troll if he if that's what he was doing. Yeah, and he would lose a lot of fan base who really do believe that they're that you know mm-hmm. a lot of the Avengers stories may have benefited from some of the darker tones brought by the Netflix shows. True. And that Defenders and, got snubbed. And that also brings the second point though. Do you reboot the character within the mainstream MCU? Ignoring the Netflix shows, or do you take what's in the Netflix shows and move forward and say, yes, this is now officially part of our continuity? Um, I like the idea of keeping it going. Um, Obviously, we can see a different side of these characters via their involvement in the MCU. So they obviously, they're going to be a little lighter. They're going to be a little snarkier. Mm-hmm. But... um. I also like that they carry, you know, the shadows of their past. And uh, if they ever bring Jessica Jones in, you know, that will definitely come into play. Oh, definitely. And it should. And I love the Jessica Jones character. I was a fan ever since Mm -hmm. Alias first came out in comics, not the J.J. Abrams TV series, the comic book called Alias. I know, but um, I like that one, too. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, you know. We're 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 also kind of rooting for that character in the MCU because Kristen Ritter is from right down the road from us in <laughs> Shikshini, Pennsylvania, and um, uh, we're friends with um, at, at show friend 
Heidi uh, Jermaine Snapoff, who was on an episode of the podcast a while back. If you haven't had a chance, has... go and take a uh, listen at that. You'll learn a lot about yes. the biz. Uh, oh, definitely, definitely. But she she did some stunt work. Not all the stunt work, but some stunt work for, um, for Kristen. Kristen in the first season of um, Jessica Jones. Yeah. So I really hope that they they do decide to keep him on. I know that's going he's knocking on that door right as people have been suspecting that uh, he's going to make an appearance in Spider-Man from home. Uh, yeah. And- There's a rumor. <laughs> And there's some span speculation. There's nothing known for certain. Um, I, if you consider that a spoiler, I apologize. I don't it's consider a it rumor. a spoiler. I consider it fan speculation. I consider it fans setting the bar of expectation way too high. And after that movie comes out next weekend, it's going to be an interesting time. And I think I know we weren't going to try to be- a talk. Yeah. We're going to have a good discussion about that. I know we've been not touching on too much of the Marvel superhero stuff recently on the, the show here, mm. but I think that's one is going to be a good discussion about the film. Plus, it's going to open doors to wider topics that we can talk about. But that's two weeks from now. And uh, and I have to ask, did you watch it? The Matrix trailer? Yes, I did. <laughs> okay, okay. Do you have thoughts? I have thoughts. Oh, um, I have a few. Go. Um, I like that we're just a couple of weeks away from the release of this thing, and we don't know what the fuck it's about. I really. know. That's that's pretty great. Uh, pretty pretty good uh, on Warner Brothers marketing for not like spoiling probably some really big moments that we're we've got coming. Although there are a few cool things in in this trailer. This is a good trailer that whets the appetite without. Giving too much giving away. Giving away the farm, yeah. Yeah. We still don't know what Christina Ricci's doing in this damn movie, because we still haven't seen her. Oh, shit. I forgot she was in that. <laughs> um, is it just me, or does it look like Neo may not even be uh, the lead in his own movie? I don't know. That would be an interesting thing. This feels like it's centering more around Trinity. That would I would be fine with that. Me because, too. It's about time. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure she was as well serviced in at least in the sequels because um, she kind of felt like I'm the love interest. I'm Neo's girlfriend, and that's it. I'm a badass, but I'm still Neo's girlfriend. Yeah, and that was the extent of her her arc, her her arc, her presence in mm-hmm. the movies. So I'm I'm very excited for that. That that if that's the case, does that look, that would make me? It kind of looks like that, uh-huh. and I hope that they're not just playing around with us because that. <laughs> and uh, holy old Jada Pinkett Smith. Yep. Uh huh. They they really aged her up, and that it took me a while to even realize that was her. Mm-hmm. I thought it was an oracle. Well, maybe maybe she's the new oracle. Who knows? Um, I'm excited. I I'm. You know, I've always been, I've always liked the first Matrix movie and kind of been ambivalent to negative on the other two movies. I feel there's one good movie in those two movies, and um, it spends a lot of its time like a freshman uh, in college trying to impress their philosophy teacher with their essay. Oh, god damn, that's harsh. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just like, here's this, and here's this other thing, and here's this other philosophical idea, and ooh, we know all, you know, it's like, oh, gosh, guys, no, you're, you're, they got too much into the weeds, I think, at points, and it just didn't work for me. If so, a lot of that, though, can be used as setup for this, then it might get a payoff. True. Because Which means I'm probably going to have to go back and rewatch it. I mean, I was going to go back and rewatch the whole trilogy anyways. I know mm-hmm. we're going to see it uh, on a big screen this week. Well, just the first one. The first one. And then I'll have to pick up the other two, you know, later on, because I'll probably do one of those previously on pieces I, for I, Film Buff. Do you have them? I have. Well, yeah. Okay. So you don't have to pick them up. Well. I was going to borrow. No, I meant pick them up by, oh, okay. by rewatching. That's what I meant. But as I've told yeah. people before... Um, it looks as if the setup is all there mm-hmm. it, in into when the architect and Neo talk, they say he's not the first one and there will be more to come. So this has all been set up. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. 
And I know that there's something that you uh, have been waiting to talk yeah. about all day. I've, Go ahead, expel your grief uh, onto the world. Unfortunately, sadly, tragically, horribly, yes. Peacock has canceled AP Bio. Not surprised. Bastards. <laughs> How? How are you not surprised? Because no one knows any kind of viewer uh, numbers out of that streaming because you're the only person i know of who's even (laughs) heard of it let alone watches it now now it was on nbc for two seasons and then moved over um it was a wickedly funny show and i guess because peacock even existed we got twice as many episodes as we would have gotten just if it had aired on nbc so i should be grateful for that how many seasons Four altogether, but it was a pretty decent yeah, run. Ten episodes per season. Yeah, uh, I think there's a total of forty-two episodes. So, like two of the seasons, it might have been eleven, eleven, and then ten and ten. But um, you know, Pat Oswald as uh, supporting actor character on that show. Um, that's where Paula Pell, I think, kind of exploded. Now she's on like Girls Five Eva, and um, she was originally a um, a writer on Saturday Night Live back in the nineties. And then, um, sorry, that's okay. She, you know, um, on some old SNLs that I've been able to rewatch recently through various means. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> it's funny in the '90s episodes, like when they need, like when they do those audience Q and A things during the uh, opening monologue. Sometimes, and it's some of the writers that stand up. I'm starting to recognize more and more of the writers, and it's like. Oh, there's young Paula Pell. Oh, there's so and so before they became a cast member, and there, there's you know Robert Smigel, and it's it's <laughs> going back now and seeing that, and oh, there's uh, Adam McKay, who also has a movie coming out at the end of the Don't year look in up. a couple of weeks. Very excited for that, um, but we'll get into that in a couple of weeks well now that you mentioned adam mckay and Mm -hmm. movie coming out in a few weeks which is definitely ramping up for oscar season let's get into some recent stuff yeah um well indeed i mean we had three movies we were actually going to bounce around in and talk about a little bit and the reason i wanted to talk about these three because it's the holidays we just had Thanksgiving, mm. which is a big family holiday. Christmas is also a big time for family. And <laughs> I these, see where you're going. These three films all deal in themes of family. family. Yeah. In different ways. And that's why I thought it would be interesting to kind of talk about, at least in general ways, um, about House of Gucci, Ghostbusters Afterlife, and um, Belfast. And Belfast. Yes, and Belfast. Sorry, I keep getting distracted from the scratching of my cat at the door. I know. I, I heard him too. That's I almost lost my train of thought there as well. Um, so where do, you, where do we want to start? Let's start with the oldest film first, um, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Um, uh, and and it, it kind of goes to something we were talking about with the Fred Astaire thing too. Um, okay, uh, spoilers for all three movies going forward. Um, especially for Ghostbusters Afterlife, I think. So you wouldn't do spoilers on a trailer, <laughs> but you would do them for these. That's because the trailer is for a movie that's not out yet, and I didn't want to. It's a trailer. I didn't and want to. A... I didn't want to go into too many suppositions about things because I do know one or two things about Matrix. Wait, uh, what? <laughs> We're gonna have a serious discussion off, off mic. Oh, of course we are. Of course we are. Anyways. Moving forward. You bitch. Moving forward. This is stuff I only found out today. So, anyways. Okay. (laughs) All right. So, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Okay. Um, Let's let's tackle the big thing first. The use of Harold Ramis in the movie. Beautifully done. Beautifully done. Uh, Very warm, very touching. Um, And, okay. I saw it, and I think we mentioned this previously. I saw it at Comic-Con. I loved it. I very much understood that possibly one of the reasons why I was loving it so much mm-hmm. was because of seeing it at Comic-Con in a room with you know, two, 3,000 other screaming crazy fans. And the cast. And the cast sitting literally across the aisle from <laughs> so me. So you were starstruck. Eh, no, I wasn't starstruck, <laughs> but it's just, it's just like, a, well, hey. 
<laughs> you don't want to. Um, well done, guys. Yeah, you don't want to sit there and have a bad time with a movie when somebody. <laughs> yeah, particularly really hard when they're kids. It. Exactly. Was McKenna Grace there? I forgot yes. to ask. Yes, she was. She was incredible in this movie. As Egon's granddaughter. Yeah. She's fantastically funny. Oh my God. That kid. I, I don't think I've seen her in anything else, but she's got a hell of a career. I have. Um, she was in I, Tanya. Oh, shoot. That's she right. She was young Tanya Yeah, that's Harding. right. I forgot about um, I recently saw her in a few episodes of Handmaid's Tale, where she plays a child bride. And she is incredible hmm. in the role. And she's, okay. she holds her own against Elizabeth Moss, who is the heavyweight yeah, well, of that that's, show. Yeah. If you can do that, yeah, yeah you're doing good. Um, and so I wanted to ask you, I mean, we... You know, the family signed off on it. You're fine if the family signs off on replicating an actor who's passed in in a way. And I, I think they do it with such respect. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. It's not done gratuitously. It is for a payoff of the entire movie, of the franchise as a whole. And he becomes the heart of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I don't see... As I was watching it, I didn't tear up as you did, Oh, God, obviously. yeah. And, and you missed me uh, back in October at New York, because I was... <laughs> Never yeah. mind. Um, but I, I definitely felt gooey on the inside <laughs> watching it. I think I was like... Mm. Mm-hmm. I felt yeah. hopeful. And and that's the thing. I it's it is in a moment of dark desperation at the end of the film when he finally comes to them. And it is done in the spirit of hope. Mm-hmm. And I because of that it it doesn't matter. It's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a great moment. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and what that gives us in that moment is not just for as the audience, but mm-hmm. the characters themselves. It gives everybody that closure. moment of closure to um, to acknowledge, you know, Harold Ramis' passing. And so the movie is very much a love letter to him, yeah. as well as the as the Ghostbusters franchise, as well as to Ghostbusters fans. And I, it's it's a very it gives everyone closure, yeah, and emotional thing, and. I don't get that some people just a lot of reviewers were like not connecting in that way. And that that then it, it might just be because they may not be um fans of the franchise itself. It may be because they are having row one um flashbacks <laughs> where replicating a an actor who is passed to give a new performance mm-hmm. feels um wrong in the in the way that cloning does. Um but it's hard not to get choked up mm-hmm. a little when after They've won the battle when Ernie and Dan and Bill turn and address him. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, yeah. It's, you know, and I'm sure it's, they probably had moments before he passed where they could have done that in private. And I generally don't want them to talk about that if they don't want to. Mm. And I would hope no yeah. interviewer would ever broach that subject. There's a part of me that kind of hopes that Ivan asks them when they were performing that, if you could speak to him right now, what would you say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just, well, you know, Jason directed but, and Ivan produced. But, I, that's yeah, what I meant, right Jason. Um, but, yeah, to because as they're speaking to him, I don't see, you know, Spengler and, and uh, Venkman and all that. You, I, saw, I saw them. Mm-hmm. And, I, and that's what made it feel more endearing to me. Oh, I know. Is you, I couldn't, they weren't acting. They were them. Yeah. And that's what broke my heart. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it's it's so well done. And yeah, it's trading on our love for the franchise. But obviously, any movie's 
that wants you to feel something wants you to make that emotional investment mm-hmm. to begin with. And some people were like, I don't like it. It was a nostalgic, you know, it played on nostalgia and stuff like that. Well, okay, you're you're going back to a story that's 30 some years old. Um, Any person who loved in the Ready same... Player One but has anything to say about Ghostbusters needs to shut the hell up. No, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't I wouldn't even be able to quantify, you know, it was critics who liked this and didn't like this. I'm uh, just saying the nostalgia yeah. aspect. Um, it, but, you know, they're like, oh, they kept hiding, you know, oh, obviously, oh, there's a ghost trap. I was like, well, duh. It's like you're going to do a Star it's Wars Ghostbusters movie. without you know, a lightsaber. Yeah, you're going to have lightsabers. You're going to have, you know, robots. Uh, what do you expect? Yeah. So that's it, the formula it, it, of this franchise. Yeah, it just struck me weird that they didn't um, connect with it. Um, you know, and there are times when I feel like I'm off on other cr- critics, uh, vibe or wavelength. Um, and then sometimes people come back, reevaluate it five years later and go, wow, we were wrong. Um, we slept on this. Yeah, we slept on this. Uh, so, you know, but I really like though that, you know, and it had that whole idea of family and you had, um, you know, Egon, big mystery. Who was Egon's wife? It, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't Annie. Janine. It wasn't Annie Potts. And we'd hoped for that. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> I think I love that the trailers kind of led you to believe for a second. It yeah, was when, when she popped up in, in the movie, I'm sitting there going, I was, I was like, wait, why did you ask who she is? Isn't she your mom? And then I was like, oh, crap. No, she's not your mom. Aw. We he really said, wanted that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, w- I was a little disappointed in that. But, you know, whatever. Um, and we got... Uh, I kind of like it that Ernie Hudson's the <laughs> one that made it out and made it big amongst them all and has mm-hmm. been supporting them the entire time. <laughs> uh, Raise the Cold Books is going to turn a profit one day. <laughs> I'll keep paying his rent until... <laughs> Mm-hmm. And then he doesn't even know. I like that it was about reconnection between the mother and the father. And the father. I will say it that did strike a chord for me. And uh, I think the only tear I really did shed through that movie was the hug. <laughs> when she finally gets to, to hug her dad. Mm-hmm. was, yeah. Yeah, it was, I, you know, I've been very fortunate that my parents have stayed together. Oh. Uh, Right down to the fact they're in the same nursing home facility right now. Um, but I dare say, you know, and I apologize if I'm wrong, but I kind of saw a parallel, you know, recently for you. And if you don't want to talk about this, I can edit this right the fuck it's out. It's okay. Okay. And uh, um, there have been a lot of things recently that have been taking me back. I recently learned how to sp- smoke my dad's pipe. Mm-hmm. Um Today, one of my coworkers was humming Wishing You Were Somehow Here Again from Phantom of the Opera, which is famously done when Christine goes to visit her father's grave. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, (laughs) all of a sudden, bam, (laughs) Um, I'm I'm back somewhere I really didn't want to, I didn't think I was going to be today. Yeah. And, I mean, we've talked before about how, you know, both dealing with both our parents, um, you know, and how well uh, last year was it two years ago now? Holy crap. Um, seeing uh, the father was immensely difficult for me. Um, I, you know, I was a crying. We both that was were. only last year. Was that only last year? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. OK. Mm-hmm. I thought that was. Yeah, that's that was post COVID. Yeah. But it still just, feels like COVID was three months ago. I no, <laughs> we're still in it. Um, but the you know the idea that you know I'm I'm watching a lot of things now with the fact that you know my parents are in a nursing home and stuff like that, and you know so I'm kind of more in tune to those lost relationships or those fractured relationships and trying to find closure there and um you know i find myself getting uh caught up in those movies and i think that also might have been part of what i was responding to in ghostbusters yeah you know when when you have a parent who is 
mostly non-responsive thanks to Parkinson's. You know, they're not there for you. They're not there. They're physically there, but you don't, you know, they can't communicate if anything is actually still You wish there. they could yeah. move the, the, the lamp. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And... And it was it was very sweet that, you know, how they did all of that and how he reconnected, you know, how he connected first with his grandchildren and then was able to uh, make that final thing. The biggest thing about Ghostbusters that blew me away was the majority of it being practical effects. So much of it. Yes. It, it, and I, I would say it was, that. it had to well, be. obviously there was a lot of digital. Per, yeah, there was some digital. Digital stuff here and there. Some, but, but not as much as you'd think. I'd say it was about 60 practical, 40 hmm. effects. I don't, I, I wouldn't deign to put a percentage on it, but things. My, from my brain. That's yeah, my brain. That's not like actual numbers. Things the chess pieces. And uh yeah, the moving chess pieces, the moving pieces of furniture, mm-hmm. animatronic dog. I look <laughs> yes. th- that when that appeared on the screen, I yelled holy shit in the theater <laughs> because in today's day and age mm-hmm. to actually see an animatronic instead and actually be able to tell that it's tangible and real and mm-hmm. if that thing goes after Paul Rudd you really do feel like his ass is grass uh, <laughs> yeah it, it was impressive to me and I was very pleased oh gosh yeah um, it, yeah it was all, all in all I can't understand why anybody would not like Ghostbusters um, but it seems like it was only critics audiences have been responding to it a lot of people I know who just like movies aren't like critics or you know diehard you know film analysts or anything like that like we get to be um they've all enjoyed it i have not seen like one person in any of my socials that i'm you know actual friends with not just people i've you know know through social networks only um i don't think i've seen one person who's like "Eh, okay (laughs) everybody's been like oh my gosh i loved it and i think you know uh, a lot of people have been responding to to those uh, themes of family, which is great. And those families coming together. And like I said, it was supposed to come out in the summer, but uh, Thanksgiving is a time of family coming together. And I think a lot of people really responded to that. Yeah. Well, Thanksgiving is also a time to want to kill your family around the dinner table, <laughs> which – it feels like the right thing to say about our next movie. I was going to go for a similar segue, perhaps not so murderous, but... But it's perfect. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, yes, so now that leads us to... Gucci. Ridley Scott's House of Gucci. And... What a mess. I'm sorry. No, I, I knew I we were so looking forward to this thing. It's it's okay. It's not great. Wow, that's damning it with fate and praise. There's a good movie in there somewhere. There's a couple of movies in there somewhere. I wish Ridley <laughs> Scott could have dis- decided upon what kind of tone he wanted. Because sometimes it seems like it's high camp. Sometimes it seems it a little bit It walks a more... line between camp and being mm-hmm. serious. Yeah. Um, I have no idea what Jared Leto was up to. You know, the funny part is, is I was watching a video of uh, a dialect coach saying that Jared Leto, uh, from worst to best accent in mm-hmm. the film, Jeremy Irons has the worst. Jared Leto has the best. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is Jared Leto took it a little too far with some of his accents it's on a the me. end. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like, they were like, the accent's on point. Mm-hmm. But then he took it a step too far. Then he took the, the, um, his, the his stereotypical. performance yeah. very broadly, though. Mm-hmm. And when, you know, and, and Pacino's kind of broad in this as well. And when you have that, when you have somebody like Jeremy Irons who's giving a good performance, but it's more uh, subtle and, and Adam Driver's is the same. It's Adam, very subtle. Adam Driver's performance, yeah, it's it's not as big as we've seen him do in the past. It's not as I don't want to say showy or flashy, mm-hmm. but say involved maybe as it is because his character is very kind of like 
weak and pulled back and interior internalized. And um, basically he Awkward. gets- yeah, and he gets pushed around by everybody else until the third act. Um, Where he can finally break out of a shell, yeah. he's finally happy, and then all of a sudden, he gets two in the back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and one in the head. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Whoops. Poor guy. Uh-huh. Um, well, Lady Gaga's carrying this whole damn film on all of her shoulders and <laughs> upper body. And she, yeah, she is. <laughs> and But she's absolutely ridiculous in this movie. She's wonderful ridiculous. Yeah, but if you're... If I was looking for a good interpretation of the story, I'm not sure I would say this is it. Interpretation of the story? No. Performance? Yes. I don't know. I kept I kept waiting for her at some point in the movie to just go and get me moose and squirrel. You know, she was just very Boris and Natasha with that accent. Um, I was after a while. I forgot about the accent because I was focusing more on her eyes. Her eyes were doing a lot of work for her. Her stance was doing a lot of work for her. Mm-hmm. Um, when she goes in complete desperation to her husband who's about ready to divorce her ass and starts pulling out a photo album of baby photos of their kids and it's just one of those girl you can sink no lower and she pulls that off beautifully Mm -hmm. she is begging and you can feel that she is begging i think her and um kristen stewart are probably going to be the heavyweights for this year i funny enough i think kristen gets a better I don't think she's going to um, be much of a factor in the awards. Lady Gaga? Yeah. Really? I, it, I just, I, th- I think it's. Oh, I, I'm certain she's nabbing something. I would be shocked if she didn't. I I would be shocked if she did. I so would we'll say see. that's the we'll only. See. We've got. Th- I think that's what, the only nomination of, uh... this movie could get. <laughs> that's the only oh, one yeah, I can see. Yeah, no. maybe a costume design. But. Mm. I mean, maybe. Yeah. It's it's just, it's so uneven and so messy. And usually, if anything, Ridley Scott is a sure, steady hand on tone. And we don't get that here, I don't think. You know, you look at some, you know, look at most of his stuff. Hell, look at last um, The Last Duel, which we just had a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago. That is shifting viewpoints so perfectly and adroitly for three different segments of the movie, but tonally it still stays the same. That's something that this, you and I spoke about, actually. Yeah, but was, here, it's it's yeah, just all over the place. These two movies, Last Duel is the far superior film. Oh, good God, yeah. I'd rather see him get nominated and that film get all the awards, even though it kind of just like tanked at the box office. It's not only tanked at the box office. It didn't do well critically in some circles. Yeah, the the wrong circles. <laughs> uh, whether or not, it doesn't have enough mm. star power and they didn't market it well enough to get it on anyone's radar. This has I, been yeah. everywhere. House of Gucci oh, is I know. everywhere. They, they really backed this horse, and I don't think it was a, a good play. Uh, granted, they're backing said, this horse because of Gaga, and that's why. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ab- absolutely. And, you know, it's like we said when we talked about uh, last. Um, I keep wanting to say Last Crusade. That's not right. <laughs> <laughs> last Duel. Um, that, you know, it's hard to market a movie about rape yeah. and toxic masculinity and go, here's a good date night film. As weird as this is to say, I don't think Matt Damon and Ben Affleck are the uh, the star heavyweights they once were. Recently, no, they've had so. they've had way too many uh, flops. They've, they've been doing things that concentrate more on acting. And I'd rather see them in smaller movies that allows them those opportunities. I mean, yeah. Ben Affleck was a decent Batman. Well, he was a decent Bruce Wayne, and the way they wrote Batman was wrong. But I do, you know, I'd rather see him doing, like, more character pieces. Hell, even Kevin Smith's Jersey Girl, which Kevin Smith himself laughs at and goes, (laughs) this did not come out well. I like that movie at least because it allowed uh, Ben Affleck to flex some acting muscles in a different direction. Yeah. So... Yeah, 
that's really that. But apart from Adam Driver in that movie, there really isn't a lot of star power. Jody is still fresh off the block mm-hmm. um, between Free Guy and this. And as much as I think Killing Eve is catapulting her, she's not quite there yet. She can't headline a film True. and keep it floating. True. But Lady Gaga. Mm-hmm. Is backed behind Adam. Is backed with Adam Driver, Al Pacino, Jeremy Irons, and Jared Leto. Sure, fire wins. Except the movie's a complete sloppy mess. Exactly. And that's, but that's what they that's have to shame. market. I know. I know. But. But can we talk about someone who actually might make it into the supporting actress category? Sure. Katrina Balfe. <laughs> Possible. For Belfast. Possible. True. I don't actually um, see her getting it. It, it it's, it's she should be in the conversation. She should be in the conversation, but I don't think she's gonna make it to the noms. Okay. Well I want her to. Mm-hmm. Um there's still a lot of films out there. Um uh, there's a couple that I still need to see that have that are out there. I still want to get uh, caught up with like Pig and Benedetta mm-hmm. and a few other things. Um, before I make my final list, I think, you know, I'm probably going to make my best of the year list on the 30th. <laughs> probably same here because I think, yeah. what was it? The Lost Daughter is hitting Netflix that week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, right yeah, up so until. There's an Olivia Coleman uh, performance that we have to have to in- ingest before we have that con- conversation. Right up till the third. And the same with Dakota Johnson, because I've heard she should be in the conversation oh, God, for that movie. Yeah. Um no, Belfast was a wonderful yeah, let's movie. Yeah, circle back to, to Belfast. Um, what did you think? I really liked it. Um, I was surprised. I was surprised. I don't want to say pleasantly or unpleasantly surprised, but I was surprised it's only an hour and 38 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, usually on a piece like this story, it would be bigger and it would be longer. Yeah. But it, it very much fo- narrowed focus down onto that family, especially as seen through the younger son's eyes. And I liked that. There's a lot of things I was like, like little grace notes here and there throughout the movie that I really liked. Um, one thing I noticed, and I, you know, I haven't seen anybody talk about it really, was Every time we see him watching a TV show, mm-hmm. it's not the fact that, you know, oh, they go to the movies and the movie itself is in color. Chitty, chitty, bang, bang's in color, but everything else is in black and white. It's the three or four things that he watches. Star Trek, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Yes, I caught that. High Noon. High Noon. And Chitty, Chitty, Bang, Bang. They're all, you could all look at those things and say, those are all... TV shows and movies. Oh, don't forget have, about 10,000 BC. And 10,000 BC. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was okay. a great joke in there. Yeah, that was fun. Um, okay, maybe not that, but Man Who Shot Liberty Valance is about a character with a moral code. Mm-hmm. Star Trek is all about just morality plays in, in outer space. Well, the original Trek, not yeah. whatever it's devolved into these days, um, which some of it I do like. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, High Noon, again, another movie about a man with a strong moral code. And um, we we sort of see him because he doesn't have a father figure around. He is absorbing these lessons from, from, television. from television and from films. You're familiar with what this story is about, right? Yeah, it's about the troubles in uh, the late 60s in Ireland. You know, and it's who- based on... Kenneth Branagh's own life. There you go. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I was waiting for you to get to the oh, autobiogra- autobiographical part. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So if that is the story that he is telling through his own eyes, um, through Buddy, who mm-hmm. is our kid stand-in, um, maybe that is what he had to deal with. Maybe mm-hmm. that's where he gained his lessons. Yeah. Hell, I, I know those are ga- where I gained my lessons growing oh, up. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I very much kind of, as a kid, kind of clued in on certain uh, fictional heroes mm-hmm. who were always very moral and upright, you know, whether it was reading Superman comics, whether it was watching Star Trek or Doctor Who and stuff like that. Those kind of media figures, Bam. you know, they imprinted on you. Imprinted, yeah, and you kind of get certain ideals, and you I teach you I life lessons. Lo- I would love 
to uh, see an interview with Branna where he talked about that or if God willing, you know, we ever wind up getting into a position where we could have a chat with him about whatever he was working on. I would love to work a question in, a, in about that because that was something I found, I, I found really fascinating uh, about uh, the piece. Uh, other than that, it was okay, you know. And it, it, was a, it was fine. The movie was fine. So I'm guessing um, you agree with me on my initial thoughts that I told you. It's it's well done. Great performances. Uh, but it doesn't stick to the ribs. Yeah. It's it's one it's of the most. Meal. Yeah. It's one of the most heartwarming, you know, beautiful, tender films I watched in a long time about family that after award season will disappear forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sadly. Um, cause I think the kid, if he wants to keep acting, you know, let's, let's see some more from him. Mm-hmm. I don't, yeah, I'd be more interested to find out if that was a performance from him or if it was a performance that, uh, Branna and the editor kind of pulled out of him and pieced together. Yeah. Cause I, I will admit I'm, I was watching a lot of it going, he's surrounded by heavyweights and there were times where I feel like he wasn't fully pulling his weight. Really? If, if there were some. Well, I mean, maybe he's like six years old, for goodness sakes. Six, eight. I mean, the yeah. same could be said of Mr. Jojo Rabbit over here, but That's he, true. Yeah. he kicked everyone's ass. Yep. Yep. That kid was amazing. <laughs> um. So uh, the age of a child doesn't matter if the talent is good enough. True. And I can't foresee Kenneth picking anyone but the right choice. True. But I was a little underwhelmed. But you're throwing him up against Dame Judi Dench, for Christ's sake. And Syrian Hines. Yes. And um, Jamie Dornan, yeah, Katrina Bell, and, and, and again, Syrian Hines. Um, speaking, speaking to how, you know, I, I vibed mm-hmm. in on something. Um, you know, he was because... the grandpa I always wanted. Sorry, Pop Pop. <laughs> um, well, my grandfather, my mom's dad, Irish immigrant. And he was our pop. Mm-hmm. Um, and he too died from, well, they, they kind of gloss over in the movie here, but it was implied that he died from like something with the lungs. My grandfather smoked. Black for, lung. Okay. Black lung for him. But my grandfather smoked like a chimney from when he was 10 till when he was 80. Um, they didn't and, gloss over it. They said he was a coal miner. Uh, yeah. They, they, they did mention coal mining. Yes, that's right. But, you know, so so part of that, you know, I very much identified with. You know, my my grandfather passed away when I was fifteen. I um, never got to meet my grandfather on my mom's side, but he was a coal miner and he mm-hmm. passed a black lung. Mm-hmm. So um, that was something I definitely clued in on. It was just like yeah. if I Again, had the chance to meet Papa Relza, I yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, the last couple of years, my grandfather was sick. I didn't get to know him as much as my older brothers did around when they were that similar age, you know, a few years earlier. And I missed out on, like, hearing his World War II stories. Um, and, you know, so I felt uh, I, I felt bad for Buddy in the movie. You know, I was remembering what I was going through at that time, too. And, um, you know, it was very affecting for me. And I liked that. I liked that I could that it pulled the, that out of me. Mm-hmm. Um, but is everybody going to have that same reaction? No. no. Um, you know, I understand that that's a very specific circumstance. Whereas I could go see a movie about something else and somebody else would be like, oh my gosh, I can relate to these very specific points. And I'd be like, I can understand it on a theoretical level. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, so I think that's, What's right, you know, I would probably go back and rewatch Belfast, but I can I can see where overall as a film, it's not gonna it's stick. not gonna stick. Like I said, it's not gonna stick the ribs. It doesn't no. have it doesn't have enough juice to it. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that definitely uh, I clued in on that I really loved was. uh, something that I was told about as a kid from my father's side of the family, the idea of an Irish funeral. Hold on. Yeah. Yeah. And um, 
I just thought it was just like a story that you tell people to make them feel a little bit better about, uh, about one's passing. And my dad always said, when I pass, I want an Irish funeral. Like, don't mourn that I'm gone. Be grateful. I was here. Celebrate. Celebrate. I was here. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, recently as I've been watching certain movies, like I, I believe it was, um, one of the bond films and we see how they celebrate death down in new Orleans. That was another story Mm -hmm. that I had always heard about, but never seen watching Belfast. I finally got, I finally felt like I got to sort of experience that as a community event. Um, the celebration of one's life and not them being gone, but them passing on to something greater. Mm-hmm. Um, and which also gives us one of the best versions of, um, it wasn't everlasting love. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. By Jamie Dornan. Mm-hmm. And that is a key moment in the film that we do see a lot in the trailers, but we didn't have the context no. for that scene. No. And I think, I think the trailers totally miscontextualize it. They do. Um, they give and, you the warmth, but mm-hmm. none of the grayness behind it. Mm-hmm. But again, that's also like in Ghostbusters. It's about um, losing a father and dealing with that loss. Yeah, in, in a different way, um, as opposed to you know, in Ghostbusters, the father disappeared early on, and there was a lot of anger and resentment about it until they understood why. Mm. Here, obviously, you know, they're losing the father after a long life together. Uh, But, I, I, you know, there's still that same sadness. There's still the same heartbreak and everything. But the celebration that we see in Belfast is a way of accepting that and and showing their your love for that that now deceased parent in a way. You know, it's it's a different expression than what we see in ghostbusters but it's still the same you know same urge Mm. you know at the uh passing of a parent i think belfast um actually made me see something i haven't seen in a film in a long time and that was community like Mm. true community um usually when you see it in films, it's, you know, little small towns, everyone knows everyone, everyone knows everyone's secrets. They, they, they kind of marginalize it. They make it funny. They never make it real. Mm -hmm. But you're talking just like when we first come in up the street, we find buddy, buddy, your mom's calling for you. And he walks back. He's talking to the, that's, that's an amazing setup for that movie. It is. Um, But it, I'm talking about its string through the whole film. The oh, yeah, candy the f- shop at the end of the block. The fact that they know the cops and they're kind of pulling a prank on the kid because he shoplifted. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to whoop your ass after I scared the bejesus out of you with the cop. Uh, and, you know, the f- even when they're talking and thinking about leaving Belfast, the parents are discussing it. And she says, all I've ever known is Belfast. If we leave they won't understand the way we talk. They they will hate us for taking their jobs and taking their homes. We rely on the people around us. They know everyone. I know everyone. We mm-hmm. won't know anyone. I know. And that's always something scary about moving in. Um, it's a refugee You've lived too, in this yeah. area all your life, yes. right? Yes. I moved, okay, I was born in Massachusetts. My family moved to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania when I was two. Okay, so I don't remember that move. My, you know, my first earliest memories are like being a wee-wee tot in in Harrisburg. And then we moved up to this area when I was going into eighth grade. And that was, it was like two hours up the road, up 81. And it was scary though to me because I didn't know anybody. All my friends were, you know, back in Harrisburg and in our middle school and everything, it really, you know, so, so yeah, I mean, I could see what, where she was coming from and she was on a whole different level because I don't want to say, you know, it was very parochial, but, you know, living in a city, but still, you know, picking everything up and going anywhere else is a huge leap. 
of faith? At home, I I may have grown up in this area, mm-hmm. but and I was in a very tight knit neighborhood. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a sense of community. It was kind of instilled in us early on that, you know, be careful. Be careful of the person two doors down from you. Be careful of the person who lives across from you. It, it, uh, by the time I was 11, I found a junkie with a needle in his arm dead. It was it was not a good neighborhood to, to grow up Ooh. in. And even the neighborhood kids, everyone was just kind of very wary of. Mm-hmm. So I retreated into my bedroom and I fell into movies and, and books and films. And yes, it's where I learned a lot about life. It's where I learned um, moral lessons that have stayed with me as I grew up. And... Even though I feel like I, I missed out on the the social connection of kids my own age and, and playing outside and all that, there are times I am grateful that I locked myself in my room and I, I gained a, a broader knowledge of the world mm-hmm. because now I feel like I don't fear it as much. And I think that's something that um, is missing in this movie. And maybe he hit. At first, when the kid hears that, he's just like, no, I want to stay in Belfast. He throws a little temper tantrum. Mm-hmm. The The first part is always, you're always going to be more afraid when you think you're about ready to leave everything that you know. Yeah. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. I mean, hell, I was in seventh grade and, you know, dad comes home from work one day. He's like, okay, I'm getting transferred. We're going up, you know, we're moving away. And I'm like, well, see ya. <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, like, okay, you guys go send me some money and I'll keep living here. I don't care. Um, that, you know, it was inconceivable to me. And that you would ever leave. Yeah. And it's strange because my dad was in Harrisburg for his job working for a retail company uh, for the longest, uh, just about the longest of his career. Up to that point, he was moving every couple of years. And my older brothers, like I th- one of one or two of them, like went to three different elementary schools in the space of five mm-hmm. years, and that's crazy to me. Um, and you know, so I had, you know, I guess as a child was putting down roots. I guess that my older brothers didn't know how to do. You know, but that by that point though, they were already you know graduated out of high yeah. school. That's the kind of age gap between. My Something. next oldest brother and me. Um, it was like six years. So it was, yeah. But I understood. Actually, the, the one character I understood the most about in the movie was the father. Mm-hmm. He's the one who seemed the most okay with everyone leaving. And it's because he could see an outside perspective. He, Yeah, he, he travels to work. In London for two weeks and then comes back. Well, not just travels to to work, but now he can see how other people outside of Ireland view what is going on within it. Mm -hmm. He's Nick Carraway. (laughs) He is within and without. Yeah, yeah. I just went back to Great Gatsby. But it it is the most... I see that happening more and more in movies, and I pick up on it. And yes, I go back to Nick Carraway, but it's the best way to describe exactly what's happening. Mm-hmm. He can see it from an unbiased perspective, as well as having to be on the inside and call the shots for sure. his family, for their safety. Um, I love Colin Morgan. I think he's a fantastic actor who since the BBC Merlin has not been able to get a lot of work. I was very pleased to see him playing the villain our main antagonist in this movie, kind of just your your local neighborhood gangster thug who thinks he's so much mightier than he is in terms of morality and, and politics. Um, but when, when it comes down to it, he's just a thug. Yeah. And uh, I was kind of underwhelmed by him. I, I wanted him to really just... Give me what you got. I haven't seen you in a while. Do it. And. <laughs> well, again, remember, we're seeing this from the kids. Kids perspective. perspective. So maybe he's not seeing the dark, the really darker side of that character. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and so. But that that means that we are given a shield that we're always going to be underwhelmed by everything that's going on mm-hmm. because it's not seen through the eyes of what's happening. It's being seen through eyes that don't know what the world is like. True. And maybe that's our movie's problem. That could be it, yeah. Is because we didn't grow with the kid because the kid didn't grow. Fair enough. Joe, uh, Jojo Rabbit has... Yeah, it's a hell of an arc. Yeah. Where we kid similar that of a similar, similar age. age. Where he goes from the naivety to the reality. Mm-hmm. And when you have someone threatening to shoot you and your mother in front of your father, that needs to strike a chord. And we don't need to see that through rose-colored glasses. Fair enough. And I think, though, on that note, that about wraps us up for this week. Ghostbusters Afterlife, House of Gucci, and Belfast are all currently in your local cinemas. Remember, you can find us online at bigpicturepod.com, and we are now available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So either use the link in the show notes post or head directly there, search and hit subscribe. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave a positive review because that always helps us connect with new listeners. And we'll be back next week with more news and a retro review of two franchises that launched 20 years ago this month. And that's all right here on the Big Picture Podcast. 